This is Indonesia in depth. I'm Tanita. And I'm Sean Corrigan. We are officially three days away from the presidential and legislative um, election in Indonesia. This year, as you have heard from many of our previous episodes and other mainstream Indonesian news, the elections would be held on the same day, which is on the 17th of April, 2019. It will be a massive election in the sense that not only the president will be elected, but also all of the legislative in the national, regional or provincial and district level, and even lower than that, will be elected at the same time. It's the largest single-day election in the world. Uh, And although we might not have as many voters as other countries, but usually these countries spread out their elections in several periods, we will have it in one single day. Um, So with us is Sean, uh, our very own colleague here. So you can imagine how big this event would be. And it has always been a very big uh, event in terms of the hype, and also the logistical task that the election commission, or we call it here, the KPU, has to undergo. But we've been hearing some concerns, especially from foreign uh, listeners, journalists, and even the business communities. So many of them question whether this election will be conducted free and fair, whether there will be voters' irregularities, um, whether there will be potential for violence, uh, whether the change of the simultaneous election system become a problem, and whether this election will have surprises such as what happened in the 2016 U.S. election. Um, So let's just get right into it. Uh, So Sean, do you agree with these concerns? We have been hearing some of those uh, concerns, but I think it's important to note that we've been hearing these concerns from the international community rather than uh, Indonesians uh, or Indonesian voters. We've been hearing that from the international business community and also from some of the expat community as well. So we decided maybe we should talk about it since it's come up, in the, especially in the past two weeks, that maybe we should talk about it here. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to address their concerns? I would say that overall, the election will be free and fair. Um, there will be some irregularities. We've seen some news about uh, reported irregularities in in Malaysia, some of the expat community voting uh, there, but the details haven't been revealed. So th- there will be irregularities. There have been irregularities in Indonesia, but nothing at mass scale uh, that will in- impact the, the the final result. Um, when it comes to potential violence, every election since 1999, um, all the elections have been very peaceful. Um, so I don't expect uh, violence to be an issue. I think uh, the majority of these concerns, if not all of them, are unfounded. I think the election will go well, and I think we'll know uh, who the next president is, uh, maybe even later Thursday this week. Mm-hmm. So, and this is just talking about the conduct of the election itself, right? Or do you also take into account what happens, say, in the next 24 hours after the election? Right now, we're entering into a uh, sort of a calm period before the, um, after some of the campaigning. So there's a three-day uh, window where there's no campaigning allowed. Um, and all the attributes have been taken down. I think it'd be very peaceful. It has been. And uh, I think there'd be no issues during this period. Mm. So what's your argument for that? I think to address some of those concerns that we've been hearing, I think we should look backwards in history, say back to 1998. Reformasi. President Suharto is still clinging to power in Indonesia tonight amid warnings there could be more bloodshed later this week. 
500 people have already died in an orgy of violence, looting and political protest. At that time in 98, you had President Suharto, mm -hmm. who was in position for 32 years. And in 1997, 1998, you had a social, economic and political crisis simultaneously, uh, which then led to large-scale violence and then eventually to President Suharto's resignation after 32 years of rule. I was here during that time, and analysts and experts believed that Indonesia would spiral out of control and eventually break up into different states. It was a very dangerous situation at the time, but the country stuck together. Uh, and you have to remember at that time, under Suharto, it was a fully centralized government. Mm -hmm. So everything came out of Jakarta. Jakarta ruled everything. The regional governments did what Jakarta told them to do. Um, so it was a fully centralized government. And when Suharto stepped down, uh, sort of that central power that was left with a vacuum. And it was unclear if these local governments and local uh, regional areas were going to uh, succeed and separate. In addition to the strong central government under Suharto, you had strong military involvement in politics and governance. And the military was directly appointed over 20% of the seats in parliament for nearly 50 years. Uh, these were not elected seats. They were appointed and they gave the seats to who they thought was fit, to their active officers. These are not retired officers. These are active military officers at the time. Mm -hmm. So they have their own factions inside the parliament. Yes. So that was a situation in So as I mentioned, uh, President Suharto steps down uh, as a result of this simultaneous crisis in 1998, in May of 1998 to be exact. Um, and then after that, Indonesia had four presidents in four years. Yeah, okay, so four presidents in four years. Can you break it down for the listeners? So President Suharto steps down in 1998. He is replaced by his vice president, B.J. Habibie, uh, who stays in office until 1999. And as the result of the downfall of President Suharto, there is a general election scheduled for 1999, uh, which Abdurrahman Wahid is appointed as president, not directly voted by the people, but by the people's representatives. And then he is impeached in 2001 and replaced by Megawati Sukarno Putri. So if you have four presidents in four years, that's a sign of instability, uncertainty, um, it's still, at the time, no one knows what's actually going to happen. Uh, will democracy work? Even some people were wondering, you know, what's going to happen? You had 32 years of stability under Suharto, and now you have this, four presidents in four years. This is unprecedented. It's very confusing to people, obviously, and it's a major problem. And at that time, we're still struggling to pass over, to get past, of the, to rebuild ourselves after the, the economy crisis. Yeah, right? so they have major economic issues going on, slow growth and other major instabilities happening throughout the country. Uh, but I think it's important to note, I sort of jumped over a little bit, but the 1999 general election. Uh, it was the first democratic election 
I think since 1955, that voters could freely elect their representatives. Previously, it was, the elections were not free and fair under Suharto. The 1909 election, as I mentioned, was not scheduled originally during the Suharto administration. It was sort of a rushed election because of the downfall of President Suharto. It wasn't perfect. There were irregularities. But overall, it was decent given the circumstances, given the resources, given such a short period of time where the election, General Election Commission or KPU could actually hold elections. Right. Now that you mention it, I think this is the year where the KPU, the Indonesian National Election Commission, was established, right? And first conducted its um, election. Yes, the first one. Okay, yeah. So again, this was an election in 1999 was for the representatives, not a direct uh, vote for president and vice president. It was merely for their, their representatives. So where were the military at this point? Well, even up to this point, the military was still had their faction inside parliament, just over 20%. Mm-hmm. And they had their, still had their own faction and still were very influential. Even though the others were elected uh, relatively free and fair, the um, TNI or the military factions weren't. No, they were still appointed directly from the military. Uh, but then laws are changed. And in 2004, the military eventually departs parliament for good. Uh, now, this is a big deal because at the time, experts and many of the, in the general public believed that the military would never leave, never give up that power and never leave parliament. Military generals such as uh, August Wijoyo, who was actually leading the faction in parliament, he was one of the driving forces behind the military leaving the parliament. And he strongly believed that the military should reform itself and also that it should pull out of politics and return to the barracks. So he was a driving force for that. And he was actually the head of the faction which is quite interesting and quite amazing, actually, at that time. Secondly, also quite a significant feature of the transition was the termination of the socio-political role of the military. Uh, in the past, the military had a dual function, which formally and legally played a role in social politics. That has been uh, terminated through the termination of the dual function uh, doctrine. Uh, that was significant, and it was also unique in the sense that it was the military who voluntarily reformed itself to leave the role in social politics, and that uh, and that the political transition into democracy was left solely to the civilian politicians. That was the voice of retired Army Lieutenant General August Wijoyo speaking at the Westminster Institute in 2018 about the withdrawal of the military from social and political affairs in Indonesia. Okay, so by 2004, you have the military, which is one of the most powerful group of people, institution in the country, left the parliament. What about the um, centralization of the government itself at this point? Where was it? Well, under Suharto, as I mentioned earlier, there was a... strong, top-down, centralized government. But then laws were changed after the downfall of Suharto and the beginning of Reformasi period. And in 2001, regional autonomy was introduced. So you had a major shift from centralized government to regional autonomy. This is a major change in governance for Indonesia, where you have the local leaders accountable to the local people and making their decisions. So at this point, we have four presidents in four years. Um, The military has stepped down from the government. Regions now have more power, no longer centralized um, in the government. But at that point, have we chosen our presidents directly? 
No, that was implemented in 2004 for the first time when the election law was changed and where voters could directly vote for their presidential tickets. Actually, 2004 is an important turning point because up until that time, there was a lot of instability, a lot of difficulties, many uncertainties. You had issues like the postal conflict between Muslims and Christians, sort of a mini civil war up in central Sulawesi where many people were killed. There was a lot of instability there. So that was fresh in everyone's mind. Um, there had yet to be a smooth transition from one president to another. So just on that point, if you look back, up until 2004, there was no instances where you had a transition of power from one president to another. We had General Suharto taking over power from then President Sukarno. Then you have in 1998, the fall of President Suharto. Habibie becomes president because he was vice president at the time. Uh, he only serves for around a year. And then Abdurrahman Wahid comes in. He is then impeached. Megawati comes in because she was his vice president. And now you have 2004 where you have an actual election and it's a direct vote. So hold on. Go back again. What happened from Habibi to Abdurrahman Wahid? Habibi was president for around 16 months after the resignation of President Suharto. And then at the end of the 16 months, it was running into the 1999 general elections where he hoped to run again, uh, but he was rejected as a candidate by the parliament. So he withdrew his candidacy. So you had Habibi on the way out and a new leader coming in, voted by the representatives, uh, which eventually was Gustor and Megawati was his vice president. So you had that situation with the transition of power being an issue. In addition to that, the economic circumstances were still very fragile. In addition to that, the military had just left parliament. Um, so it was very difficult times in 2004. And to the point where many people started to question whether democracy was the best path uh, for the country, as their democratic leaders have failed to cope with the massive challenges uh, that were happening. So this happened over and over and over from 1999 to 2004. So some people were actually thinking, you know, we missed the old days of the strongman rule of President Suharto. So you had lack of stability and certainty for five years after the uh, 1998 or, say, 1999 elections. So the democracy was still being questioned at that point in 2004. 55-year-old ex-army general Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono is Indonesia's first leader directly elected by the people, winning an overwhelming... So in 2004, for the first time, the people directly elected the president and vice president, which then brought in President Yudhoyono. So you have President Yudhoyono serving for two five-year terms back-to-back, -back, uh, which brought a sense of stability. And then you have the first-ever democratically elected presidential transition, which occurred in 2014. And that was just five years ago. So that's the first time, five years ago. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. So what you're trying to say is that in order to judge how this election will be, we should compare it and judge it from what we have in the past, or Indonesia have in the past. And judging from what happened in from 1998 to, to this point, what we're seeing is a relatively fast change, not only on the people, but also on the system. And we have adopted democratic elections 
Um, and especially given the circumstances at the time, either socially, economically, politically, and even geographical situation, which is a huge, huge undertaking. Yeah, I think that looking back, I think people need to understand the challenges that Indonesia has gone through when it comes to the democratic elections and the progress that has been made. And I think there needs to be appreciation of what Indonesia has accomplished when it comes to carrying out these elections and making a major shift from, say, almost 50 years of having the military being a strong faction in parliament, having a very strong top-down president, President Suharto, for 32 years, having hundreds of ethnicities across Indonesia, across an archipelago, different religions. On top of all this, it's a young democracy. And I think to have a country of this size be able to carry out free and fair democratic elections, I think is a major accomplishment. And I think that these concerns that we mentioned earlier about will it be free and fair, will it be voter irregularity, will it be violence and uncertainty what's going to happen? I think the certainty is that Indonesia will be able to carry out these elections on the 17th of April. And I think they'll go well. And I think Indonesia will have a new president. We'll know the new president in several days from now. And I think it'll go well. Will there be some... Will there be some irregularities? Yes, there will be. There always are. And I think most countries there are, even in mature democracies. And I think, will the results be challenged in the constitutional court? I think they will. There were many in 2014, including one from candidate Prabowo Subianto, uh, which was eventually rejected. And people moved on. And here we are now in 2019. Right. And I think the fact that people were able to challenge decisions to the constitutional court indicates that the system is functioning, the fact that people can exercise their constitutional rights. Yeah, the system's not perfect, but uh, it's working when it comes to democratic elections. So are there other issues, say on human rights, rule of law, and other issues? There are many. I think that's another episode we can get into. But right now, specifically talking about democratic elections, I think Indonesia has done a good job. What do you think about the um, simultaneous election this year? It's going to be the first time with this generate problems. Well, it's definitely a change to the system where traditionally Indonesian voters would vote on their legislative candidates and then two months later would vote later on the presidential tickets. And these tickets were based on results of the legislative election and the makeup of parliament. So now you have the presidential election, the legislative election, the local legislative election, and downwards all on the same day. So coalitions had to be decided beforehand. Uh, We've done numerous podcast episodes on this topic and articles. Your question is, will it be an issue actually for voters? Um, It could be an issue. There are five ballots with many names on them. There are 16 parties participating. Each ballot is folded and the voters will get five ballots, which will then have to be unfolded and then punctured through their candidate of choice, then refolded and then put into separate boxes. So the KPU, the General Election Commission, uh, estimates that it could take up to five minutes for each voter to vote just because it's an actual long process. Um, Actual simulations have been up to 11 to 15 minutes in some cases. So I think it'll be much longer than five minutes. So I think that's sort of the biggest concern is, will there be long lines at the polls as a result of this process where voters have to go through these ballots? 
I think another effect could be that the ballots themselves, if you look at them, which we've seen, not all of them have photos of the candidate. So only two of the five have photos. Uh, and some experts that we've spoken to um, question the psychological effect this may have on voters where they might be easier or more interested in voting for the ballots that have the photos and then be confused or just more lazy when it comes down ballot to just have a list of names. So they have the party and then a long list of names where the voters don't remember the names, they only remember the photo or the person, um, and maybe they won't vote, maybe they'll just skip that and go to the next ballot. So that's a possibility, and that could be an issue, but we don't know yet, so we'll have to see what happens um, on the 17th. And it's also, I think, and as a side note, will this simultaneous election happen in the next election? Uh, will there be changes to election law when the new parliament comes in uh, later this year? Will there be efforts to go back to the old separated system of having legislative election and presidential election separate? So we'll see. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even these potential problems that you mentioned due to the simultaneous election is still in the level of acceptable problems that that we can handle and can accept. It's not going to be a game-changing problem or issues that can uh, severe the the election process itself. Yeah, I I believe so. And I'm actually more concerned about the actual time it's going to take each voter to go through the ballots. And will that cause a backup in the voter lines, and actually maybe people will be frustrated and then not vote. That could be a possibility. But we don't know. No one knows how it's going to work in practice. Uh, We'll have to see. Great insights. Thanks so much for taking us back to the, giving us all the context of how this election should be viewed. And hopefully, as you said and believe in, and I believe in too, hopefully there will be no problems on the election days. Uh, I, I believe that the system has been robust enough to handle such dynamics and such challenges that this election particularly brings. Uh, We'll get into more of these discussions, hopefully after the election itself. Yeah, I think that Indonesian elections are a democratic celebration. And each election that I've seen since 1999 have been. And it's a very uh, joyful, cheerful day at the polling stations. And I think that's going to be the same this election. So we'll be back after the election uh, to provide more information and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. See you next time.